I've heard it. You've heard it. It's time for a new beginning. Time to start a fresh page or paint a new picture with our life. Sounds great in theory, but it can seem impossible. Life is messy. The lines have gotten blurred. Maybe we just don't know where to start. We look at the canvas of our lives and see mistake after mistake after mistake. It's overwhelming. When I look at my life with these messy lines and scribbles, it makes me think, is this as good as it gets? There's no eraser that can make this life make sense. But what if? What if there was someone that could make sense of our mess? They could take all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our missed opportunities, and make them into a masterpiece. And then I remember, there is Jesus. He gives us a new life. Every day is new. Every day is a blank canvas full of possibility and promise. He takes our canvases, our lives that have been filled up with shortcomings, secrets, tragedies, and embarrassments, and he helps them make sense. When I look at the canvas of my life and I see nothing but disorder and chaos, I have to remember this. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And you know what? He wants to take my hand and bring peace to the canvas of my life. So as we seek to make our mark, let us give God all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our hurts, and trust that he will turn our messy lives into a masterpiece, his masterpiece. Good morning, church. Man, I'm glad that you're here this morning. And as a matter of fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. Go ahead and do that. Man, that was so genuine. Thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning. Man, we're here to, to celebrate a risen Savior, are we not? And we do this every single first day of the week. We, we worship God every day of our life, but we come together as the family of God today to collectively lift our voices to him to say thank you, God, for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, don't we? Uh, and what a joy it is to serve that risen Savior. If you're our guest with us today, we want to say thank you for joining us, being a part of our assembly today. We, we hope that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst. And of course, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to think about Crosspoint being that place you could call home for your family. To join us in telling the story of God, the story of Jesus Christ, the hope that this world desperately needs, the hope that we need. And we uh, use our talents and our gift sets in lots of different ways and different ministry sets uh, to tell that story. We invite you into telling that story with us. But what a joy it is to have you here this morning. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning uh, when we start out. But we'll also be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 uh, initially. Uh, all of our text should be on the screen. And uh, again, we'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do get there. 
Now, I want to remind you, we're in the last week, a four-week series we've called Graceland, and of course, we've not been talking about Elvis' home, not at all. We've been talking about the grace of God and what that means in your life, how it can totally change your life in every aspect. When we totally surrender to God, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, he will make all things new in our life. All of our relationships, the way we perceive life, our purpose in life, he reformulates that and transforms us into what we were created to be. And that very first week, if you remember, we, we talked about how each and every one of us need the grace that Jesus Christ offers because we've all got sin in our life. There is no one that is sinless. Every single one of us deal with something in our life and we need that grace that God imparts to us and we embrace that. We also learned that second week that because we have received that grace of God that it should flow out of our life as well to not only those people that we enjoy being around and those people that we love doing life with but also even those people that hurt us. There are moments in our life where we look at folks around us who have hurt us but even then grace should extend to them because of how we have been given grace. We live that life of gratitude because of what Jesus has done for us. Last week, we talked about our weaknesses. And there are moments when you and I have stubbed our toe, when we've given into temptation, when we've not done what we maybe should be doing in life. But even in those moments, Paul tells us that in our weakness, Jesus Christ is made strong. That it is evident to the world the power of God in Christ Jesus because of our weakness. And so Paul celebrated his weaknesses and so we do as well only because it brings glory to God. Not because we're less than or we've messed up but because it brings glory to God. This morning I want to talk about grace in the, in the realm of circumstances. What does it mean to have grace in your life even though things in your life may not have worked out exactly as you had hoped? Maybe because of decisions you've made along the way, choices you've made along the way. Maybe because of choices other people outside your control have made, have changed maybe some circumstances in your life. What we know at the end of this four-week series is this, is that God's grace is indeed bigger than anything. Church, say that with me. God's grace is bigger than anything. One more time. God's grace is bigger than anything. And it absolutely is. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 reminds us that no one should miss the grace of God. Nobody. That each and every one of us should bask in the, the grace and the love that God has to offer each and every one of us. No matter where we find ourselves, no matter what we're doing, no matter where we've been, the guilt that we might feel in our life, that indeed in Jesus Christ, all things are made new. And then Paul has the audacity to write something at the very end of his letter to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 5 and verse 18, where he says, be thankful in all circumstances. Really, Paul? Be thankful in all circumstances? Now, notice he doesn't say for all the circumstances that are happening in your life, but Paul says, in all circumstances, be thankful, because this is who we're called to be in Jesus Christ. And so what does Paul really mean when he says that? Does he have any collateral, so to speak, to say something like that? See, the idea of, of circumstance, that root word also creates another word called circumference. And most of us know what circumference is. 
It's that, that circle, so to speak, and as we talk about our own lives, we could talk about the circumference of our own lives where maybe we stand in the middle of that circle. And if we're honest this morning, as we reflect on our own lives, what we realize is that within the circumference of our life, in the circumstances of our life, most of us don't control anything. That really, God is in control. And as hard as we try to control relationships and finances and jobs and the list goes on and on, we really don't control much of anything. And we think that we would be happy if we could control all of those circumstances. If I could just shape and mold and and make this thing my own. And we think that the problem is our circumstances. I mean, I I wouldn't be nearly as angry. I I wouldn't be nearly as upset if everything went just like I wanted it to. I wouldn't be nearly as depressed if everything just lined up, if things were a little bit different in my life circumstance. And if this changed, my life would be so different. I mean, if I could just finally have that baby, things would be different. If I could just find Mr. Right, things might be different. If if my salary was bumped up just a little bit over that hump, things would be a little bit different. If I could get that promotion at work and have a different job title, things would be different. If, If my husband would just give me half an effort, things would be a little bit different. If my health was better, if I didn't drive this old clunker to work each and every day, well, my circumstances, if those were different, things would be clearly better in my life. And I call that the happiness illusion. That if one more thing was different, if if I just got things kind of squared away in my life and my circumstances were different, then I'd be happy. And here is the problem, church, with us as human beings. Nothing will ever be just right. You could get an answer to your prayer. All of those things I just listed come true for you. And guess what? You'd want one more thing. If I could just get to this one other spot now, things would be good. Everything would be great. I would be happy. But then Paul, in his letter to the church at Thessalonica, says, be thankful in all circumstances. So how do I do that as a follower of Jesus Christ? How do I lean into the story of who Jesus is to me? How do I fully embrace how God's called me to live in his son, Jesus Christ? If our circumstances determined our thankful spirit, how can Paul say, give thanks in all circumstances? And what we discover is when Paul made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, he knows hardship. When Paul leans into the story and fully surrenders to everything God wants him to do for and in Jesus Christ, he understands what it means to be in a tough spot in a circumstance maybe that he didn't really want or ask for. And so we begin reading kind of where that is for Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 24. Paul begins listing. He says, five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Oh, Paul, Paul knows hardship. He knows about those circumstances that really didn't work out to his advantage, much like you in your own life. Maybe Paul is one of those optimists. One of those guys that are, you know, the glass is always half full. The the folks that you and I absolutely despise. Yeah, maybe maybe Paul's one of those guys. He's just that perennial optimist. Everything is going to be just fine. But as we read through that list of things he's endured, maybe maybe he's been hit one too many times with a rock. Maybe he's not right in the head. (laughs) You never know. Maybe he just uses the power of positive thinking in his life, a lot of self-talk. It's going to be good. I think I can. Everything is going to be just right. But what really allows Paul to say, give thanks in all circumstances? And I would say that it all comes down to grace. When you read all of Paul's writing over and over and over and over And over again, Paul comes back to this word, grace. How do I get through life and the circumstances that surround me? Paul is animate that it is grace that allows us to look at that circumstance that we are currently in and see grace. At the very end of that same letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 28, Paul says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And in every letter except for one, that's how he ends every letter. Those words are some semblance of those words. He ends with the idea of God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ. That's how Paul gets through the day. I mean, there's no way that Paul can be joyful and give thanks without grace no matter the difficulty that you may be experiencing in your life, whatever is happening in your life, when you see how much God's grace has done for you, then it surmounts the moment that you are experiencing in your life, even when it's extremely difficult, even when it's a tough moment or maybe a a really tough loss. In that moment, when we consider what God's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, It's grace that gets us through because grace is bigger than anything. That's not to minimize what you're going through, what you are experiencing. God sees and understands and hears your cries and your pain. But nonetheless, as we think about the grace of God, it's what gets us through that moment. I mean, think about the scales of justice for a moment. Two pans and a balance bar. On one side is what you are dealing with 
And for Paul, that was listed out in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that we just read, all the different circumstances in his own life, the things that he had to endure. But what would your list look like? What would you pile on one side of that scale that you are having to deal with? Maybe a a health scare that you wished you had not gotten from that doctor. Maybe it's a, a broken relationship with your parents and things just aren't like they used to be. Maybe it's the fact that you continue to get skipped over on that job. Or, or maybe it's the fact that you don't have one although you're looking. Maybe it's some discontent with your children and, and there's a falling out there and not a lot of communication happening. Maybe it's a a decision that you made uh, a poor choice many, many years ago and you still bear the guilt of that moment. Whatever you might be dealing with mentally, pile that on one side of the scale and you see the weight of where you find yourself in your circumstance. And most of the time in those circumstances, someone's name is attached to that, isn't it? You're thinking about that person right now that you've got to have a conversation with or that you don't want to have a conversation with. Someone that did something to you that was hurtful and then walked away. Sometimes there are names attached to those circumstances in your life. But on the other side, on the other side of that scale, I I want you to put everything that we've learned over this four weeks, everything we've learned about grace, I mean, grace is so much bigger. God's grace is bigger than everything in your life. It's, grace covers the sin that you have in your life, the things that you know that you have done that have not made God happy or pleased with you. Grace is bigger than your weakness, that temptation that maybe keeps coming every now and again, a decision that you've, where you've dropped the ball, or you stubbed your toe along the way. The grace that covers the hurt that people have done to you along the way and your current circumstance that you find yourself in. And what we discover along the way is that God's grace is bigger than anything. It far outweighs what you and I have to deal with in this life. God's grace is amazing, is it not? The word thanksgiving in the Greek is Eucharisto, and it literally is two words put together, the word good and the word grace. And biblically, when you say the word thanksgiving, it's it's not about one specific thing going on in your life, but it's this idea that it's thanking God for his good grace in the circumstance that you find yourself in. To thank God for who He is during your difficult circumstance, your difficult moment in life. When we give thanksgiving to God, it's saying, God, I praise you for your good grace despite what's happening to me in my life. And it's interesting, we've talked about Hebrews chapter 12, that no one should miss the grace of God. But in that same verse, the second part of that verse reads, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Isn't that interesting? In the very same verse, 
The writer talks about grace, but then talks about make sure that no bitter root grows up, skewing how you live life and how you might look at God. You see, in Hebrew culture, a poisonous plant was called bitter. And the writer here is using a metaphor for that poisonous root. I think what Paul is is saying throughout his letters and reminding us that when a church, when, when the people of God miss grace, it becomes a poisonous place. When we don't acknowledge the grace of God and we don't, in our own lives, take that grace of God and extend it to those around us, whether we like them or not, the place where God's people are called together becomes a poisonous place. And there are stories that underscore why no one should miss the grace of God. Now, if you're like me, you're plugged into lots of different social media outlets and you you have followers and people that you follow and you you see their daily activities, lots of pictures of grandbabies, etc. But sometimes you'll see somebody that, that they'll post a quote from some famous person in the past. And what you realize in the quote posting is that something's happened in this person's life. If you, if you dig in and find the story, you would discover that there has been a circumstance they have not been happy with or one that they're rejoicing with, either way. Last week, I, I saw this post on a friend's account. He said, it's a quote from Gandhi. I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That, that hurts when I read that because I'm a Christian and I want to be like Christ. But when you read a quote like that, you, you realize that there's a story that goes along with that quote. There has been some grace that has not been extended. There has been something happened in this person's life where they wished they had seen Jesus Christ and yet there was some absence of him in that moment, in that story. And you and I have been around long enough. We've been in church most of us long enough. We've got friends who have as well that we hear stories about moments where grace was not offered. You hear stories about the teenage pregnancy in the youth group and how that particular person was shunned or pushed aside or not allowed to participate because of one moment in their life. We, we hear about folks who are same-sex attracted and we push them to the sideline and, and we don't want any part of what's going on in their life. They're just not, not good enough to hang around. We hear uh, of stories of folks who have been divorced. They're made to feel like stepchildren many times in the gathering of God's people. We, we see people who are suffering from addiction, maybe a chemical addiction or a pornographic addiction. And they're made to feel like they just don't really belong here. I mean, I don't struggle with your sin, so it's, it's different, maybe worse than where I find myself. At. We've, we've done that over history with people in different religious backgrounds who are coming into a group, a new group of people. And I dare say we've done that for folks who, who, who come from a different ethnic background, a different skin color. There's a book I read several years ago, and I would encourage you to, to grab it and read it as well. It's called Reviving the Ancient Faith by Richard Hughes. 
I read it several years ago, but it's really the history of Churches of Christ. It's about a 200-year span. It's very interesting, and you kind of, you read through some of that, and you go, oh, that's why we do that. Oh, this is where that came from. Oh, this thing happened over here. Okay, I see how that migrated this way, and you kind of, kind of get a picture of what's happening. What shocked me is when we got to the civil rights error in time in the book, and what I discovered was the church was really no different than the world around us. There were great African-American preachers, one Marshall Keeble, I remember my dad talking about him, loved to hear Marshall preach, and he would be called to hold a, a gospel meeting in a predominantly white church, but asked to come in the back door, not the front. And there are moments that we hear about that through our history and time and even today where we realize grace has not been extended in the circumstance. And this morning is a call for us to realize that that even in your circumstance, that God's grace is still amazing. No matter what people do, no matter what they say, no matter where they hail from, it doesn't matter. God is still God. Jesus Christ has died for everyone. Everyone deserves grace. His grace still amazes me. And if we are going to make sure that no one misses the grace of God, then there, this must be a place where those who struggle feel welcome. This is not a castle with a moat. This is a hospital for sick people. And we are all sick people. We all have the virus. We all need God's grace. And if those in the church that belongs to Jesus Christ would rather point a finger rather than lift a hand, then maybe you should reconsider if this is the place for you. Because God's grace extends to everyone. Praise God for God's grace. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for what you've done for us. And you've, you've closed all the barriers. You've taken them away. You and I get to experience the love and grace of God. You remember the first week we were talking, and, and I mentioned this quote, if you weren't the biggest sinner you know, then you don't know yourself very well. We all need God's grace. We're all broken people. We desperately need Jesus Christ in our life. You see, God's grace, God's grace is bigger than addiction. It's bigger than pride. It's bigger than the materialism you may be experiencing in your life. God's grace is bigger than, than the lust issues you have going on or the cancer that you're trying to overcome. It's bigger than the workload that you have. It's bigger than the abortion that you've experienced or the divorce that you are going through. It's bigger than the affair that you've had to deal with and the loneliness maybe that you are experiencing. It's bigger than the anger that you may be struggling through right now. It's bigger than a disappointed mother or an absentee father. You see, the walls I've created have come down because of the grace of God. And we rejoice because we live in Jesus Christ. He is bigger than my guilt. He is bigger than my, sh my shame. He's bigger than my sin, my secret, and my brokenness. And what I discover when I pull back the curtain and look at the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ, is there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Church, we have a beautiful picture 
painted for us as Paul does, reminding us that despite our circumstance, despite our weakness, despite how much we've been hurt, despite even our own sin, he died for you and for me. And that grave is empty today. And we serve a risen Savior. Amen? Amen. What a joy. What a, what a wonderful, beautiful story that we get to be a part of. Knowing that there are no barriers because of the grace of God. His grace still amazes me. Does it not you? This morning is a call for us to, to reconsider where we're at. To think about the circumstance that you find yourself in and know that God's grace is bigger than anything that you're having to deal with right now. It doesn't minimize your pain. It doesn't make small what you are going through. But it is a reminder that at the end of the day, God is desperately in love with you. And he wants to be a part of your life. He's pursued you and me through all of time. And there is nothing that would hold you back from leaving behind any guilt that you may have, the distance that you may think is a part of your guilt and your sin. Leave all that behind and embrace Jesus Christ. Let his grace just wash over you. Uh, may, may you know this morning that he loves you beyond measure. And he's given everything for you and he loves you, no matter where you are, what you're dealing with, run back to him this morning. Embrace him. He's waiting for you. He's done everything possible to make your life purposeful and whole and full of peace, joy, and love. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time. And as we sing this song, our shepherds will be gathered along the wall of this room. And my guess is in a, in a, in a group this size this morning, we've got folks who are, who are struggling Folks who know they need to embrace the grace of God, but they're not sure maybe how to get there. And I want to encourage you to go see one of our shepherds. Let them lay hands on you and pray for you and over you. That you would, you would move past the guilt that you might feel in your life. That you would fully embrace the life that God's called you to live in his son, Jesus Christ. And let Jesus make all things new. Let's stand and praise his name together.